630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. We'll be back on the ice tomorrow, 11 a.m. at the downtown community rink. They are scheduled to have Thursday off and then be back at it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as they go through training camp for the restart of the NHL season. Leon Dreisaitl, a finalist for the Ted Lindsay Award as most outstanding player, as voted on by the Players Association. He's been on a line with Yamamoto and Athanasiu, McDavid between Nugent Hopkins and Cassian. Caleb Jones, defenseman for the Oilers, once again did not skate with the main group. Uh, he has been unfit to practice. That's how the NHL will refer to players who are injured or have COVID. They're not going to tell you which is which, though Jones was out on the ice uh, after today's scrimmage with, with a smaller group of players. Here's Tippett with the update there. He'll continue to skate every day until uh, we get the green light that he could join the join the regular group, but he's, uh, uh, he's progressing and... Uh, Hopefully not in the too distant future. He can become part of the main group. Won't be tomorrow. It won't be the next couple of days, but uh, we'll see where we are at the next couple of days. All right. So there's the update on uh, Caleb Jones, who the Oilers are, are going to need if they get going deep into the postseason. Well, unfortunately, we don't have any current CFL games to talk about as uh, we uh, we wait to see what's going to happen with the Canadian Football League. They're hoping to get back at it in September. This would have been an Eskimos week coming off a bye, and they would have been preparing to host Toronto on Friday at Commonwealth Stadium. So with no current games, instead, we take a look back to this day in 1994. Hunnigan prints right and throws long for Alfred Jackson down at the oh. and He's got it! He caught it between two Here's Dunnigan back in the pocket, throws to the left side, wide open Williams at the 50, the 45 of Edmonton, the 40, the 35, the 30, he's down to the 25. Or Dunnigan goes long down the right side, Alfred Jackson, five yards, right, touchdown! Dunnigan in the pocket, down the middle, out for Jackson at the 10, the 5, touchdown, Blue Bombers! And Dunnigan goes over 300 yards passing in the first half. Here's Dunnigan, he wants Jackson long, down the right side, Jackson, oh, touchdown! We capitalized most times when we had a chance, and uh, um, it's the difference in scoring 20 and 50. And he's going long for Mr. Jackson, he's got it, he's at the 30, kiss him goodbye, and here's Dunnigan, and he's going long for David Williams. He's got it at the 50. Oh, Matt was on fire, and I think everybody was catching the ball for him, so I'm glad to be here with him while he made this record. Here's Dunnigan in the pocket. He'll throw it to David Williams in the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown, oh! Bombers! I'm not used to breaking records, so uh, <laughs> it's new water for me. It uh, feels, feels good. I'm glad my son and my wife are here to see it. That's the legendary Bob Irving calling the game July 14th, 1994 in Winnipeg. The Blue Bombers knocking off the Edmonton Eskimos 50-35. And our guest tonight on Inside Sports, Matt Dunnigan, quarterback for the Bombers in that game with 713 yards passing. And, of course, that still stands as a single-game record. Matt, you're on with Reed Wilkins. Good to talk to you again. How have you been, sir? All good. All good, man. 
appreciate that. It's just good to talk a little bit of football. Sorry, it's got to be from 1994. <laughs> well, that's okay. Before we dive into that game and that season, because that was a really interesting season, let everybody know uh, where you've been and, and, and how you've been the last few months as we've been carrying through the pandemic and, and hoping to get back to normal. I've been um, isolated down here with my wife and, and, and my daughter, Kathy and Madison, and uh, we've been traveling a little bit back and forth to Texas, uh, making the most of opportunities to get out when we can, uh, enjoying the sunshine. Uh, we've been pretty blessed through this whole quarantine process, but life is good. It's just awfully different for uh, for us as it is everybody else and across the world, and I uh, just hope and pray that this is over sooner than later. Yeah, and it'd be great to to get us some sort of a CFL season in for sure. All right, look, all right, let let's flash back. Um, I mentioned you had 713 yards passing, and I should also mention uh, Alfred Jackson had 308 receiving yards and four touchdowns. David Williams, who was an outstanding player, had 240 yards, and then you still had another couple hundred yards spread out uh, amongst the other receivers. I mean, yeah, yeah. you're it's one of those. Sorry, go ahead. No, you have to understand. You know the the precipice and and where where this all started. It was started in 1993, and um, we felt like we were a pretty good football team. Won a few games, uh, I think 14 games in uh, in '93. 14 and four we went, and we saw Edmonton. We beat up on them pretty good uh, both times we saw them. And and what we did was we took advantage of what their defense was giving us, and they were giving us our inside receivers. In fact, in both those games, uh, Gerald Wilcox and Gerald Alfin caught 32 balls combined for 485 yards in just those two games. And we beat them by some pretty walloping scores. And then we go to the Grey Cup. Of course, I'm standing watching on the sidelines. I would have blown Achilles. And we turn the ball over seven times and lose to a team that we had dominated that year, uh, 33-23 in the Grey Cup. And uh, that, that kind of stung. And so then that whole offseason, myself, Gerald Wilcox, and a couple other teammates are rehabbing, trying to get back on the field. And we opened up the season in 94 with a loss on the road to BC. And then we come back to our place and the Eskimos are in town. And uh, they weren't going to get beat by our inside receivers. Gerald Alpin and Gerald Wilcox weren't going to be catching too many footballs. And so we got one-on-one coverage. We realized that. We started putting the ball outside to a couple other outstanding receivers, a Hall of Famer, David Williams and Alfred Jackson, who was just a special athlete and those guys lit them up and we went to work with one-on-one coverage on the outside so whatever the defense was giving us we were going to take it and try to prove a point i, I mean a high scoring game edmonton got 35 so it i mean you, you needed you needed all all 50 certainly to, to stay in control of the yeah. game as yeah, uh had more as it, well, I'm going to ask you that about the, about the stats. I mean, certainly we, we played that little clip from an interview where you, we were told about the record. Were you at all aware of your yardage total during the game, or are you just worried about moving the ball and scoring points? No, I think we were more enjoying the moment of uh, we were up pretty big at halftime. I think it was like 28-7 or something like that. And uh, it might have been 28-4. And, uh, yeah, I was. we were just – enjoying the moment of being back out on top and, and, and putting it to Edmonton and uh, based on what happened the previous great cup and 
standing there watching it. So it wasn't about numbers. It never is. It's about W's and L's. And and I, I don't think I was ever aware until Mike Kelly came out, our offensive coordinator, came out of the press box and on the sidelines. And and uh, um, Kevin O'Donovan, he, he stepped up to the plate and said, the Maddie's at 699. And Cal and Mike had a short conversation, and they let me go back out there. And uh, it wasn't for a guy by the name of Alan Boyko, who was uh, who saw things like a quarterback? He's just a cerebral receiver, a guy that he can trust. He was non-air shot, second along. I just stuck it on him. He made a guy miss and got 14 yards, and that was the end of the story. <laughs> it, was, it was like what? And that's the only time I was aware that we were uh, that close or, or having a day like that. It just kept feeding those guys the football, letting them do their thing. All right, so that was uh, 1994. Uh, quick math, that was uh, 26 years ago. There's a lot of passing in today's day and age. Do you think that single-game record can ever be broken in the Canadian Football League, 7-13? Absolutely. With the way they chunk the ball around now uh, and, and, and just pitch and catch, yeah, I, I, think, I think that is definitely um, doable uh, based on what I see in the talent level that we have. You know, just there in your own backyard, you know, with Harris and Bonovich back in the fold, you know, offensive great mind, and along with Trevor, who's ripe right now, I think he's peaking. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's combinations like that throughout the league uh, of coaches that understand the game at such a high level. And, and have such a great report their quarterbacks. I, I just think that, yeah, that's in jeopardy every time somebody takes the football field because of the uh, talent that we have in the Canadian Football League. Matt Dunningan joining us tonight on Inside Sports, talking a little bit about the game July 14th, 1994. He threw from seven, for 713 yards. Blue Bombers beat the Eskimos 50-35. to 35. I have the Blue Bombers' results and schedule up for that season, Matt. Um, yeah. You lost a game 58-19. You won a game 54-34. You won a game 59-41. You won a game 46-44. You lost a game 57-10. Well, like, what was with all these points? Both uh, the, You guys were really good, 13-5. and five, yeah. but, but what was with all the points involved in Bombers games that year? Uh, well, we were loaded. I mean, we had an <laughs> offensive line. Give me all the time in the world. Uh, you know, we had Walby, Gorell, uh, we had uh, Van Conant in the middle, Blackie on one side, and Brett McNeil on the other side. And uh, we're running backs, Blaze Bryant that year, Chris Johnstone. I know that Keith Woodside was on the roster. Um, we were just loaded. We had a defense to boot, get us the ball back. He had Cameron and Westwood. Uh, it was like, it's, you know, you, you, you felt re- you're really upset. You missed an opportunity to go out there and get a W if you didn't win. And uh, I, it, when we were off, we were off. But when we were on, it was uh, it was it was a whole lot of fun to be with those guys because everybody knew the role and they did it well and uh, did it more often than not. Unfortunately, you guys didn't make it to the Great Cup game that season, and I was reading out all these high scores. The East Final, you hosted Baltimore. Baltimore. They were the Baltimore CFL Club that year. It was 14-12. I, I seem to remember it was really cold in Winnipeg that day. What What are your memories of the 94 East Final? Yeah, any final, any time of that year, it's going to be cold in Winnipeg. You know that. And, um, you know, you're, you're, we're playing we're playing at Polar Park, and... Uh, 
And it's, I, I just remember a fumble that they scooped up and rolled in the end zone and scored a, a touchdown that shouldn't have counted. And then I remember uh, running a play action pass, counter boot. I had the halfback that was hacking off the corner and free safety's coming over the top on Gerald Wilcox. And we had been in that situation earlier in the ball game and I called the same play. And I told the guys, um, we're coming back to that. And in the fourth quarter, much like the Saskatchewan game this year against Winnipeg in the West final, when Cody Fajardo hit a post um, on the last play of the game, it was, it was just like that. And I called the same exact play, counter boot. Hack, the, they brought the half back again, free state go to the top. Instead of Gerald going to the corner, I told him to stick the corner and snap it across that guy's face. He almost broke the free safety's knees. He just and he was wide open in the back of the end zone, and I let the ball go. And as soon as it came out of my hand, I had this ugly feeling I've never had before, and it hit the goalpost. Uh, you know, that's the difference in winning and losing. Oftentimes, is inches and you know just bad luck sometimes. And that was the case there. And uh, Baltimore goes on and uh, they play in '94, and I think BC took care of business out there in Vancouver. Yeah, it came that game right down to the final kick with uh, the great Louis Pasaglia ending it for for yeah, the well, Lions. That was his second chance at that kick too. That's right. As family, yeah, it was pretty. It's crazy. It's reminiscent of Thirteenth uh, Man or Saskatchewan a few years ago. But yeah, it's uh, and then the final in '95, Baltimore came back and they're the first and only team ever to win it from the state. So uh, just crazy history, you know. And uh, just feel blessed compete against the guys in that era and uh, the teammates that I have are still good friends to this day. Uh, Mike Kelly and I are you know, still the best of friends. Uh, Chris Walby uh, you know, and, and the boys there in Winnipeg, whenever I get there, we're always having a couple cool ones together and uh, it's just uh, those bonds, they never end. You know, so that's, that's the cool thing about the sport and uh, if you ask anybody ever leaves the sport, what do they miss? And they miss the camaraderie. It's, it's real. It's real easy. It's just nothing like it. The much as much as you put into it, the sacrifices not only yourself but your family and your loved ones around you put into it. But it just it binds you together forever, and you never, 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 you never can recreate those times. I got to ask you one more, Matt. And thanks for being so generous with your time. And if people want to go to my Twitter account. Uh, at Reed Wilkins, and I mentioned you in it as well, uh, at Matt Dunnigan TSN, so people can find it. I, I clicked out the link of the, the video to that highlight pack that we played. Mm. T- tell people about your throwing motion, and do you th- did, it, did, it, did anybody ever try to change it? You know, because sometimes you hear all this about mechanics and, oh, we don't like how that guy throws. Like, tell us about that side of it. I uh, never had, um, ne- never really had anybody try to change what I did. Um, obviously, you're always working on technique, balance, um, hitting your hitting your last step and being in balance and being able to come out because we were doing everything under the center back in the day, and uh, it was five-step drop, and there was really no hit step. You know, it's not three and a hitch. It's, uh, it's, it's five, and, and the ball's coming out. And uh, yeah, so never really any, any – uh, instruction changed my throwing motion i've never had anybody really ask me that i always tried to um, be mechanically sound growing up and working on it and uh i just continue to work on my arm strength and 
I was just rag my arm out, just throwing the ball as deep as I could after every practice, and I just wearing it out, and it just seemed to keep getting stronger and stronger. And I'm 59 right now, and I still love throwing the football. And uh, yeah. <laughs> nobody's messing around with my technique, so I think it worked pretty good for me back in the day, and um, I, I enjoyed it. It's, best, it's, it's the most fun I have doing anything, it's chunking it around, no matter what with a six-year-old kid or somebody off the street or driving by an open field, stopping and getting the football in the back of the truck and, and, and chunking at a kid. Next thing you know, you, you got a pickup game going. It's just it's just the way it is. But I, I absolutely love that. I'll drop in on a football game, a baseball game, in a heartbeat and get involved. And, and that holds true to this day. And you know what, Matt? I, I, like, I wasn't I, – I, I, I was asking that from, like, I obviously wasn't being critical because you throw off a football a hell of a lot better than I do, but I, I have had those conversations with not just football players, hockey players, pitchers, where sometimes they'll say, like, this guy tried to tinker with what I was doing, and that messed wow. me up for a while, right? So I was wondering if you ever encountered that throughout the, the course no, of your career. No, but you know, I had, early on in my career, I had coaches, you know, being able to teach me how to throw off each foot because you're never going to be completely in balance you know you have different angles that you throw off slots you know and and, and uh you know just and you can up, take the ball and hold it in your hand down by your leg and just go right up the ladder and and uh you know you should be able to chunk it and uh and have fairly decent accuracy from any angle and you work on those things but i can say that um you know everybody's different and uh I, I would just, if anybody's listening, any young kids out there, hey, just uh, a repetition is the biggest thing, man. Just do it a million times over and uh, and get used to what you're doing and what you want to do with the football and go out there with confidence and play fast and confident and good things will usually happen for you. Mistakes are going to happen, you know, and you just got to overcome those. Hell, I threw 211 interceptions as a pro. And, uh, Who's counting, though? Uh, no one's counting those, Matt. <laughs> No, 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 you know, those are the things, that's what makes you stronger, you know, and that's what tests your resolve, and uh, and you got to bounce back from those things and, and check it at the door next time, you know, you're, you get on the field, and so you just, you have to have a short-term memory, trust in yourself, confidence, and rep it out, and uh, it's, that's that's the name of the game, and the guys today, in today's game, I'm telling you, I think every, like you, like I'd mentioned, that record's in jeopardy every time out because the guys are that good now. Matt, it's always a blast to have you on the show. I, I hope we're uh, we're back in the fall talking about current football games, but thanks for sharing some memories of 1994 and your record-setting game against the Eskimos. All the best to you and your family, sir. I really appreciate it, Reed. All the best to the Edmonton Eskimos. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I mean, no one I'm supposed to say Edmonton Football Club. And let everybody know that uh, we're working hard to try to get this thing on. Watch us on Friday nights in CFL 2020. And uh, I appreciate the time, Reed. Right on. That is Matt Dunnigan, one of the all-time greats in the CFL, live on Inside Sports. Well, that was great to catch up with Matt Dunnigan. 
He could absolutely chuck it. He loved chucking it. And on this day in 1994, he did it repeatedly and very successfully against the Edmonton Eskimos. 713 yards, a single-game record in the CFL. The Bombers won that one 50-35. Of course, the CFL season in jeopardy. Is it even worth playing if they can only come back and play six games. We'll talk to Eddie Steele about that a little more on your Edmonton Oilers as well. Don't forget the schedule is uh, getting clarified. There's going to be an exhibition game two weeks from tonight at 8.30 against the Calgary Flames. And the first qualifying round game is Saturday, August 1st at 1 p.m. against the Chicago Blackhawks. We will continue to have all Oilers broadcasts live here on 6.30 Chat. Back after the 7.30 News. So the hub cities for the National Hockey League, of course, Edmonton and Toronto. Exhibition game schedule released today. The Oilers will play Calgary. How about that? 8.30 on uh, Tuesday, July 28th. We just had Matt Dunnigan on the show. Esk fan Glennie texting. He says, hey, Reed, now the CFL announcers cannot say the word Eskimo. It's just ridiculous. Esk fan Glennie, I'm going to be very blunt with you here. You need to settle the hell down about this, buddy. And I've met you in person, and I know you're a loyal listener, and I and I know you're a fun guy. But Matt, you know what? He was trying to be respectful. He's heard the stories coming out of Edmonton about the name discussion. That's all. He can say the word. He was just trying to be careful, and he knows it's a story. Okay? He hasn't been told anything. There's not, you know, anything going on where he's been told not to say it. He knows it's being debated. So settle down. My God, of all the things you, you text in on a Tuesday night, getting all crabby about that Esk fan, Glennie. Lighten up. Leon Dreisaitl is nominated for the Ted Lindsay Award for being the most outstanding player in the National Hockey League, is voted on by the players. Dreisaitl asked today on a conference call about playing at Rogers Place on home ice during Phase 4. I think there, there'll be a little sense of... Um... Um, you know, being being at home, uh, even though I do think that the NHL will try and, you know, obviously keep it as fair and as even as possible. Um, but, you know, we're we're used to the ice. We know what the ice conditions are like. We know the building and that, all, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but which which will help us, I think. But at the same time, I also think that the NHL will do a very good job of, you know, that there's not not any teams that that have advantages or anything like that so i think they'll keep it um you know very fair for the most part yeah and obviously that's why the oilers aren't practicing at rogers place right now they're over in the downtown community arena because the nhl is getting that building ready to be a host site it's going to be the nhl logos on the ice and all that kind of stuff the oilers will not get to use their dressing room all the time they might get to use it some of the times 
So there, there might be some advantages for the Oilers in knowing the building and the bounces and the boards a little bit, but uh, they're going to try and keep it as close to a neutral site as possible. More on uh, Dry Settle, a uh, story on his relationship with Kyler Yamamoto up on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. Reed Wilkins with you on Inside Sports. Former Edmonton Eskimo, former CFLer Eddie Steele is on the line. Always good to catch up with you, Eddie. How's life, man? Haven't talked to you in a while. You know what? Life is uh, amazing. I'm actually just out at the park with my boy, kicking the soccer ball a little bit, so couldn't be better than that. Now, uh, how old is your boy, and has he uh, has he dove into football yet, or are you keeping him away from the sport? He is uh, three years old and three months, so definitely no football yet. He certainly is built uh, like a lineman. There's no denying that. He's a, he's a thick little boy. But you know what? I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna push him into football. I uh, my parents didn't let me play until I was about 13 years old, and you know I see a lot of young kids playing when uh, you know the the helmet looks like it's a bobblehead on them, and I I personally feel like that's a little too young to get involved in the sport. And uh, sorry, by the way, if it's a little windy because I am outside here. <laughs> that's okay. We 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 can hear you pretty pretty good. I'll let you know if it gets a little, a little too distracting. But thanks a lot for for checking in tonight. Uh, look, uh, a lot of discussion about the future of the Canadian Football League. One of the discussions is maybe there's going to be a six game season. Maybe they'd have a hub city or two, or or whatever. Um, there's been some discussion though. Is, is it even worth it for some players to convene for a six-game season, um, you know, given that some of them might have to come up from the states and pay taxes and all that kind of stuff? Where, where do you sit with this debate of, of playing only six games? Do they need to play a few more to make it worth the while to you? Yeah, you know, I personally don't feel like it would totally be worth it to come up and play for six games, especially I was talking uh, with Rod Peterson on Friday. And, um, yeah, with the Americans who come up and they get uh, dinged with the taxes and then they got to exchange their money to bring that down home, it totally isn't worth it uh, for six games of putting your body on the line. And now I understand that, um, you know, money is obviously the the end factor in all of this discussion and for a lot of guys who might not have any other opportunity to uh, bring in some finances they might think differently than me but i'm of the mindset where we're already in mid-july would have been potentially week six of the cfl season uh we're so far behind the eight ball in terms of getting football rolling and a lot has to happen uh, in order for them to get the ball rolling here, uh, be it if they start in September or late September, early October, to even get those six games. So there's a lot that has to still happen and take place in order to even get to that level. So is it, uh, like, in your mind, would you like to see them play eight? Would you like to see them play ten? Is is there a number in your mind that makes the season more, uh, more realistic? I would say, uh, honestly the most as possible try and get as many games as possible in be it eight be it 10 be it 12 uh but again so much needs to happen in order to even get to that point i was saying last week to rod i mean nhl nba they've been talking and planning the hub city model for months now here we are uh, they're looking to hopefully get going in september and there's been almost zero communication between the cfl and the players association and we're a month and a half out 
and uh, there needs to be some drastic uh, measures taken to even get to the point of playing. So I personally don't see it happening. Yeah, I wonder if if that's where we're headed to. If you'll put put your uh, put your players hat on here for a second, just as a hypothetical, how how difficult would it be to be in a hub and to live in a hotel and have to be there for for two months and try not to go out and interact with too many people? It'd be challenging. There's no denying it. I was actually just talking with Ryan King uh, from the Eskimos. His work at Buddies. We we're talking just a few hours ago about it. And uh, he brought up a great point in the whole mental health aspect of it. You know, it's it's tough. Yeah, you can socialize with your, your teammates and, uh, you know, potentially some other team or some other uh, peers in the CFL. But uh, it's, it's tough. It would be really tough to be isolated in a hotel for however many days, 100-plus days, and uh, to not be able to get out and kind of live. Even myself, like normal right here, I'm out at the park, I'm engaging with my son, and if I was playing, I wouldn't have that opportunity to get out, be active, even go for walks. It would be difficult. As someone, because uh, you won, did you win the Vanier Cup once or twice? Just once. Well, just once, more than most people. Uh, <laughs> you know, as, as a, I guess it was CIS when you were playing, but as a, as a former youth sports athlete, how, how tough was it for you to see the, the football season get wiped out? The Vanier won't be presented this year. That's tough. And what's even tougher, though, uh, football aside, is just the, uh, that age cap that they came down with. Uh, so many uh, athletes, male, female, and all different sports, are getting their careers cut short um, without having any opportunity, any say. It's kind of just like having the rug pulled out from underneath their feet, and I feel for them. I couldn't imagine if my career uh, collegiately was just ended abruptly the way it has been for a lot of these kids. So I I really feel for a ton of university athletes who uh, don't get to play out their final years of their career. Well, you know what? U of A coach Chris Morris was on the show a few days ago, and he was very upset about... The, the age rule and that some of the older players won't get to come back for for the for their final season he's really upset about in fact stepped down as the uh as the head of a, a coaching board that deals with youth sports as, as a result oh he did i didn't even realize that and it's yeah. a tough position it's a tough position because the reality is every season every year you have a new crop of young athletes coming up so to one degree, I get it. It's very unfortunate, but it's a, it's a tough decision that has to be made. Uh, Eddie, I'm going to throw a, a tough one at you. Um, you know, I, I read a text, and, and I don't get it. I mean, I, it's only been a couple of people, but if the Eskimos change their name, the people who have said that they would stop cheering for the team, that I just, I just do not get, but that maybe that's just me. But you were a player for and against the Eskimos. Like... Did, did the name ever resonate? Did you ever have those I'm not sure about this name moments or like or with the players in the CFL, is it not even something that would be thought about? It was a, a zero thought to it, Reed, to be honest. Now, I get the climate that we're in uh, and uh, you got to be sensitive to uh, people's feelings and you got to be sensitive to people's um, perspective on things. But to me personally, it's not a, a big deal. Uh, I really enjoyed what Jordan Tutu put out last week, talking about he's some people maybe take offense to it. He personally doesn't. He's of Inuit descent. 
And the, the fact is, I read a lot of different commentary that a lot of people from the Indian community actually are proud of the term Eskimo. And uh, so it, it's a challenging, challenging issue, to say the least. Um, the fact is now Bel Air Direct is getting involved, much like Washington and uh, the company FedEx. So when you're starting to talk dollars and cents, well, the almighty dollar prevails. And that's ultimately what it's starting to come down to is the money. And as an organization, you don't want to lose that type of funding. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that a lot on, on last week's show. Had, had some really good listener feedback on that kind of stuff. Eddie, I'll let you get back to your family life and, and braving the wind. You're always a pleasure to have you on the show. You're very well-spoken, very intelligent. I know we'll do this again down the road. Thank you for your sure time. Thing is, my apologies for the wind, guys. My boy was begging to get out, so I had to get him out. <laughs> that's okay. It's kind of like a live sporting event, so that's all right. That's Eddie Steele checking <laughs> yeah. in tonight. Thanks for having me, Reed. 2015 Grey Cup champion uh, with the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, look, I, it, it always good to talk to Eddie. You know, he's wondering if if a six game CFL season would even be worth it, especially for some of the American players that would have to travel to play. He mentioned how tough it would be for uh, players to be in a hub, and and yes, they are going to do that in the NHL, but it won't be the entire league. I mean, in in three three and a half weeks there's going to be uh, what there's going to be 16 of the 24 teams eliminated. And then after another two weeks, you're then down to just to the final four. And then for the teams that are having the extended stays uh, it, in Edmonton, by that time, they're close to winning the Stanley cup. So there, there's a lot on the line. Um, I, I, again, I, that is the, and it, it was, it was so, it was very heartening to me last week, the, the way that the many of you participated on the text line and on the phone lines in, in the discussion around the Eskimos name, because most of it was incredibly mature and incredibly thoughtful, no matter what you think. A, a few people brought up points that hadn't occurred to me that, that really tickled my brain a little bit and made me think, oh man, I never considered that. I got to, I got to put a little more weight into what that person said. I, but I just do not get that if the Eskimos change the name, and at this point it's still an if, we don't know what's going to happen. I, like, I, I think it's probably going to happen, but I, I don't know for sure. I just don't get why you would stop cheering for the team if you have been a supporter for a long time. I, I, I mean, yes, it's a name we're used to. It's a name that we have cheered for as they've won championships and had great players. But... At the, at the end of the day, it would probably take a year or two and you'd get used to the, the new name and it that becomes Edmonton football, whatever they're going to be called down the road. So, I, I, again, that's the one side of the argument I really don't understand. I, I, I get a bunch of other sides and like I was saying, I appreciate I've, I've heard a lot of really intelligent opinions and some that didn't occur to me until I got to be on air and read them or hear them. But I don't know why you would just ditch the the team entirely if you like football in Edmonton and and, and like the Canadian Football League. That's one that that flies totally over my head. So anyway, if, if somebody feels that way and can logically explain it to me, uh, I'm always happy to listen. But it's certainly not something I understand at this point. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We will take a quick time. I 
the question, why would you quit cheering for the Edmonton CFL team if they changed their name to the Eskimos? Uh, somebody has written, and it's because they'd be seen as weakly buckling to mostly irrational social media pressure. Now, I, I do think, and I, and I talked about that last week, that, and, and I was just talking about, that there's, I think there's a very intelligent debate to be had about the Eskimos name. And I've said many times on this show, I think it's an outdated name, and I understand why it's problematic. But I, I also will agree with, with some of what that texture wrote, is that there's a lot of noise on social media uh, from people who really don't care about the Canadian Football League or the Eskimos or any team in it. They are just jumping on the latest cause and trying to be heroic and, and be loud about it, where, whereas really they don't actually care. They're not going to all of a sudden start buying tickets to the CFL if the name changes, and they haven't been buying tickets anyway, and it has nothing to do with the name of the team. So I get that. There's there's a lot of noise on social media and a lot of loud, angry people that probably make a problem seem worse than it is. Um, so, all right, so the team changes the name. You don't agree with the reason for the name, the name change, so you're going to stop giving them your money or watching them on TV or listening to them on the radio. And then you run the risk of that team ceasing to exist overall. And then you don't even have the option to watch that sport in your, in your city. So I still, I still don't get that. Uh, controversy Hal says I can explain the, I won't cheer for the team if they change their name. Those words are the text version of a temper tantrum from emotionally traumatized slash comp- compromised persons. My goodness. Controversy Hal, living up to his name. And then the uh, person who wrote in about the social media pressure just wrote back and said, I'm a Rough Rider fan anyway, LOL. That's what has been missing with my life. Uh, throughout the pandemic, I haven't I haven't been able to uh, take shots and troll rider fans on the air, Kellen. That's really what I've been missing. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of them out there. I respect them. But well, they, hey, they bug the hell out of me. You know, the well, I don't want to say they lost a great cup this. <laughs> I, I don't want to say they lost a great cup this year because there's still a real chance that they could be in the great cup game and still host it. But uh, that's true. You know, well, you know, and you know what? The, I'm going to say this, and I think Ryder fans know. I, I like uh, I like kneeling them, but they they are the lifeblood of the league. I think the great cup should be in Regina every four or five years. Oh, absolutely. Like just just have it there. You know it's going to be a success. You, you know it's it's the uh, the best market in the CFL for passion about the league. They're the, um, the they're 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 the best supported team in the league when it comes to a passionate fan base. I'd say you guys get the Grey Cup twice a decade. Oh, for like, sure. I, I, I really would. I would just say you're you're part of the rotation every four or five years. You're you're getting it. I think I, I think that would be I think that would be totally appropriate. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there is a set amount of markets in this country that are part of this, part of the league that get it, and then there are markets that are part of the league that don't. So uh, reward the markets that uh, support the league uh, the heaviest, in my opinion. That's about uh, maybe about six or uh, yeah, five or six. And Regina would be one of them. Edmonton would be one. Calgary definitely. Winnipeg. 
All right, 780-496-0063. Uh, speaking of the Eskimos, their annual general meeting is tomorrow, so we'll have an update on that on Inside Sports tomorrow night. And the latest from Oilers practice, they are scheduled to hit the ice at 11 o'clock at the downtown community arena. You heard from Leon Dreisaitl, Dave Tippett tonight. We also had Pat Steinberg, Matt Dunnigan, and Eddie Steele on the show. Dave Campbell is the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer. Thanks to everybody who called and texted as well. My name's Reed. Have a great night. Talk to you at 6 tomorrow. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.